It's been a pattern developed through the centuries, and the pattern is whenever a culture or a people neglects the Word of God, they deteriorate. And then whenever they begin to reemphasize the Word of God, they, there's spiritual renewal that comes. It happened during the time of the Reformation, whenever the, the priesthood emphasizing, de-emphasizing the Word of God and and, and culture began to deteriorate. And, but then you have the William Tyndales and, and you have the John Wycliffe's translating the Bible into English and Martin Luther, the Bible into German and John Calvin in Geneva beginning to preach expository sermons. And the Word came alive and the people came alive. Happened again in England and America in the 16th and 17th centuries. Morality and life began to decline because we de-emphasized the Word of God. And then the, then the Puritans came along, and theirs was a Bible movement. Emphasis upon the Word of God and, and spiritual renewal came. That's what we need in America right now. Because we've neglected the Word of God, and, and we were beginning to deteriorate. And if we emphasize it again, renewal comes. And that's what was needed in Israel during the days of, of Ezra. The last several Sundays, uh, Sunday mornings, I've, I've been preaching through books of the Bible that I have not preached from in 18 years as your pastor. There are 12 of them. I've talked about them on Wednesday nights. But I've never really preached Sunday morning from the, from the books. And so I, I'm preaching through some of those. The Song of Solomon, and we looked at Lamentations, and, and we looked at Philemon. And we look at 2 John, and we looked last Sunday morning at 3 John. And this morning, we're going to look at the story of a man who was deeply grieved because the people had turned from the Word of God. A man by the name of Ezra. And we're going to look at his story. Read with me chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. After these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations, from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be their wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief men have been foremost. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard, and I sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel, because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles, gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn, and fell upon my knees, and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. I want us this morning to look at the story 
of Ezra. First of all, letter A, life in Babylon. God's people were living in their homeland, but they had rejected the Word of God. They had broken His covenant, they had forsaken God, and they had disobeyed what He told them to do. In fact, they began to worship idols of other nations, and it got so bad they even participated in what the other nations did of child sacrifice. They would take their children and sacrifice them to their death, to their burning, sizzling death to the God of Molech. Detestable. And so God sent one prophet after another to his people to tell them, look, you need to turn from your ways. You need to turn back to the Word of God. You need to turn back to me and obey me. If you do not, I'm going to send another nation into Israel, and that will be the end of your land, and you will be carried away to captivity, and you're going to lose everything. And the people scoffed at the prophets, laughed at them, and ignored their words. So, it happened. 587 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, gaining power, marched toward the borders of Israel, marched in, destroyed the land, burned the temple, burned the city, burned the buildings, killed some of the Israelites, but carried most of the Israelites back to Babylon to live in captivity. In fact, uh, the first, did it in three, three different waves, three different deportations. The first one, he carried off First of all, the sharp, the young, the bright, the intelligent who could help Babylon, the Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And then in the second deportation, he took other Israelites, Ezekiel and some of the prophets. The oldest of the land, those that are about to die, the elderly, the senior adults, and the very poor, those that couldn't help Babylon in any way, he left to stay there in Israel because there was nothing left, they would eventually starve to death. He just left them there. God's people were transported, most of them, from Israel 1,678 miles to Babylon, and they'd lost it all. They got there, they were depressed. That's that's the same distance from here to Boston. Imagine you lost everything. You were uprooted from where you live right here, and you were carried away to Boston to live as captives. And you had nothing left here. And they got there, and they were depressed. They were in despair, utter hopelessness. In fact, one theologian said it was a most profound crucible of despair and hopelessness. Why? Why were they so hopeless? A couple of reasons. One is they had a mistaken belief of God. Now, we don't believe that about God, but they did at that time. The Israelites did. They believed God was confined to the borders of Israel. So, if you go outside of the border, you're leaving God. That's what they thought. Now, we know you can't leave God anywhere you go. They didn't know that. 
So they thought, not only are we losing our land, we're being uprooted, and every mile we go up here to the northeast, we're leaving God, we're further from God, mile by mile by mile, and they sat there thinking, God has left us and we're all alone. That's what they thought. Another reason, they missed their land. Israel, there's something special about that land. There there will be several of you will be joining us in two weeks, and we're going to be in Israel. There's something special about the land, and they missed it. And they couldn't explain it because they thought God is never going to leave us. We're his people, and, and he's never going to leave us. And so no matter what we do, he's going to be there. That's what they thought. So they have what psychologists call cognitive dissonance, where your view of reality doesn't match what you believe. And there they sat, depressed. Psalm 137 describes it. Psalm 137, the psalmist wrote, When we got to Babylon, we sat down by the rivers and we wept. And we took our harps and we hung them on the willow trees because we'd lost our song and we sang no more. And the people chided us, people of God, sing, sing. But we had no song. And they sat depressed. And they missed home. They even changed their names. They had been known as the Bini Yahweh, the children of God. And now they call themselves Bini Golah, which means children of exile. We're no longer gods. And in the midst of this despair, God sent Jeremiah, one of the prophets, to speak to them. And Jeremiah told them, sitting there in captivity in Babylon, Jeremiah told them, look, I have some good news and some bad news. God told me to tell you the good news is that you're going to get to go back home. Really? Yes. Yes. The bad news is it's not today. And it's not tomorrow. In fact, unpack your bags and buy land and build houses and plant vineyards and eat the produce and raise your families and your sons and daughters, give them in marriage and raise your grandchildren because you're going to be here 70 years. there they sat. Go to letter B on your outline, the first group of Israelites return home. Well, it's been 70 years. And God began to move in the events of history to bring about their release. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when God wants to work, He, he does so in the events of history, even though, even though those nations may not know the Lord and he uses kings and leaders that aren't even godly to do his work. Well, that happened. Because Babylon was the greatest world power, but another one over here had been gaining strength. Persia under Cyrus the Great. 
And they gained power and they began marching toward Babylon to capture Babylon. And Babylon went, ah, we're not worried about Persia. This city cannot be taken. It's, it's impossible to be captured, the city of Babylon. We have strong walls. We have strong gates. We have fortified towers. We, we have a river around us. You can't cross an army. And so they heard Persians coming and they scoffed. And they started to party. And Cyrus reached the borders in 539 B.C. of Babylon, crossed the river, drained it actually, where it was, he diverted the waters, where it would just a trickle, put his army across, breached the walls, and captured Babylon without firing a shot. And Cyrus of Persia was the new leader. And so now he's in control of the Israelites. And Cyrus had a different policy. Cyrus did. His policy was, the happier you make your subjects, the less they will rebel and give you trouble. So he asked them, what would you like? And they said, oh, we would love to go back home. And he said, perfect, I'll finance your trip. Really? Yes. And so for the first time in 70 years, the Israelites, the first group, getting ready to go back to their beloved homeland, 678 miles back home. Now, one of the men helping them get ready to go back was an old priest by the name of Ezra. He was also a scribe. Scribes would transmit the Word of God. So during that 70 years, Ezra, by the way, whose, whose ancestor had been the last high priest of the temple before it was destroyed by the Babylonians, he had been transmitting the Word of God, the Torah, and he told them, now, whenever you get back to Israel, you've got to do two things. Number one, rebuild the temple of God so there will be a place where you can meet Him and worship. The second thing is, when you get back, read and obey the Torah, the Word of God. Do not neglect it again. Well, um, that's pretty good advice for you and me. Emphasize your spiritual life, your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If you've never received Him as Savior, turn from your sins, repent of your sins, turn to Him, submit your life to Him, and give Him your life. And then commit yourself to the Word of God and to worship. Good advice for us. So they said, got it. And they went back home. And whenever they got there, they did exactly what Ezra said at first. They started to rebuild the temple of God. But something happened. The neighbors around Israel didn't want them to rebuild the temple. Because if you remember, all through the Old Testament, whenever God's people, whenever they would be attacked by one of their enemies, the Ammonites or Moab or, or Jebusites or Perizzites or Hittites or somebody, they would attack them. Israel would call on their God and defeat them. 
And so the enemies are thinking, oh no, if they rebuild that temple again, God will return and we can't defeat them. So we have to keep them from building that temple. So what they did was they attacked, they frightened, they threatened. Nehemiah talks about it in his book to try to keep them from building the temple back. And it worked. They got scared and they quit. You know what, folks, those people outside the walls of this church who were against you and against our faith and against us, they do the same. They threaten and they, they try to frighten us. Some of us have quit, too. So Ezra wrote a letter back from Babylon to send it back to them because he heard about this. And he said, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. Don't stop. Don't stop reading the Word of God. Don't stop obeying the Word of God. Don't stop building that temple. Don't stop. Keep going. And so they said, okay, we will. And after 20 years, 20 years, they finally got the temple rebuilt and they started reading the Word of God. And life was good. Now, Ezra, back in Babylon, he's getting ready to come back and join them. So look at letter C on your outline, Ezra chapters 7 through 10. Sixty years later, sixty years later, after the first group returned, Ezra is leading a second group back. Can't wait. I'm excited. The, the walls are rebuilt. The temple's there. The Word of God's being obeyed. Can't wait to get back. So the second group travels 678 miles back to the homeland. And they get there, and Ezra was shocked at what he saw. He was appalled. He got there, and several things had happened. The people, oh, well, they, were, they were going to the temple, but they had turned worship into ritual. They, they gathered to offer sacrifices to the Lord while they were yawning. And the priests were yawning through it. It had become a formality. And they got there and slept through church. How quickly they had gone back. And then someone came up and said, Ezra, I have some bad news. Uh, you know, you told the Israelites they should read the Word of God, and, well, they've, they've stopped. And not only that, they've, they've given their daughters to marry sons from other nations and their sons to marry daughters from other nations around. And so now they are mixing the worship of Yahweh with the worship of the gods of those nations. And they're bringing those practices into Israel. And they are mixing God with foreign gods. 
Ezra went, you're kidding. That's what got us kicked out of the land the first time. That's what caused us 70 years in Babylon the first time. You're kidding. He was grieved. Time out. Let's stop for a moment. I want to evaluate them and us. So, so when Ezra got back, they were, they were, worship was not a priority. Look at our culture. Worship is the lowest attended in the history of our nation. Nobody worships anymore. Not many. You, not many. And they were bringing practices of foreign nations into their nation. So are we. And, and they were giving their sons and daughters to marry lost people. So do we. I don't know how many times through the years of pastoring churches I've, I've seen youth come through our youth group and they're taught the Word of God and they're emphasized the Word of God through our children's ministry and youth ministry. They graduate and they marry a lost person. You're going, what on earth? Oh, I, you know, I, I love them and they're going to change. That's not what God told you to do. He said, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. He said, what, what fellowship does light have with darkness? Huh? What fellowship does light have with darkness? Why, why on earth would you marry a lost person? You have nothing in common with them. That's still done in our churches. We're doing the same thing they did. And Ezra grieved. He said, well, there's only one thing I can do. I'm going to God on your behalf. You're too sinful to pray. I'll pray for you. So go to letter D on your outline, Ezra's prayer of confession to God, one of the most beautiful prayers in all of Scripture. The Bible said whenever Ezra heard what was going on in the land, once they got back, he, he tore his cloak and he tore his garments. That was a sign of grief. And he started pulling his hair out. And he started plucking at his beard and pulling the hairs out of his face because it was a sign of mourning. And he was there in the open court right in front of the temple where everybody gathered. And he just started wailing, this, this old man just wailing and crying and weeping. And it started to draw a crowd. And people were gathering around starting to watch him. And there he is. And he did this until 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which is the time of the evening sacrifice. And they're watching. 
this wailing, this old man. And at the time of the evening sacrifice, they watch him, and he goes down on his knees, and he spreads his hands out before God, and he prays, and he says, Oh, dear God, I'm too ashamed to, to even look at you. God, I'm embarrassed for this people. I'm blushing. God, I can't look at you. Our sins are higher than our heads. We're drowning in sin. And our guilt, oh, our guilt, Lord, is higher than Mount Tabor. And it's been there. God, our fathers, they're guilty. They did the same things. God, our kings have done it. Uh, for Pete's sake, our priests have done it. Oh, God. You took us from this land and this sword came and you plundered us and you took us into captivity and you returned us. And here we are, shameful. Oh, dear God. God, just for a moment, just for a moment, would you brighten our eyes and send favor for a moment. We were slaves, but you were with us. God, you, you even worked it where Persia took over and we were allowed to return. And God, not one day, not one day of 70 years did you fail to give us your hesed, your steadfast love. Now, God, what can I say? We have filled this land with stink impurity. God, this is the land. We were going to come back and we were going to eat the good of the land and we were going to be faithful and we were going to leave this to our children as an inheritance and we have stunk it up. Oh, God. We're so sorry. Lord, what's it going to take here we are with evil and disgust. What's it going to take? Are you going to have to come in and this time destroy us and wipe us out for good? Is that what it's going to take? Oh, God. I ask nothing of you. I ask nothing. I'm just ashamed. And blush. I'm sorry. And with that, he falls on his face and wails loudly. And the people are gathered around, strong, a bigger crowd now, right in front of the temple. And they're watching him. There's silence. And finally, one of the crowd begins to cry too. 
and another, and another, and they begin to weep with him. And finally, the silence is broken by a man by the name of Shechaniah. He said, Ezra, you're right. We have sinned and we have defiled this land. But there's hope. We are repenting as a people this day. And the crowd went, yes. And he said, today we're recommitting back to the word of God and back to the laws of God. This day we are. And the crowd said, yes. And Ezra said, okay, 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 hold on. Somebody go get the Levites and the priests and bring them back. I want them to witness what you just said. I'm going to the house of Jehonai and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rest. I'm staying in mourning. I'm not going to eat or drink. I'm going to be grieving. You take care of your recommitment with them. And Ezra left. And the priests and the Levites came and Shechaniah stood up and said, Okay, folks. We are recommitting back to the Word of God and the laws of God this day. And they all agreed, yes. And one of the officials said, let's make a proclamation throughout all of Israel that everybody who lives in Israel must come to the temple within three days. If you do not, you will lose your house, your property, everything you own. That is a government proclamation. Be here in three days, ready to repent, everybody in the whole nation. Wow. What if we did that? Everybody must repent or you lose everything you've got. Now the people listened, and they traveled in mass. And on the third day, they got there at the opening right before the temple, and it was a torrential down raining so hard you couldn't see. And the people were standing all before the, the temple of God and they were looking up and they were repenting of their sins and they were wailing and they were soaking wet and they were trembling and they were confessing and they were recommitting their lives back to God's Word. And they were drenched. And one of the officials said, you know, we're going to hold you to your recommitment. As of today, we're appointing local authorities in every community of every tribe of Israel, and we're going to have people watch you and make sure you're following the laws of God and you don't break them. We're going to be watching. Whew. That's serious, wasn't it? And they said, Amen. Do it. And then the one last thing they did. They opened the census of the names of people of every tribe, of every community, who had married a foreign wife or a foreign husband. They called them by name. And they said, go get your spouse and send them back to where they came from. If you've had kids with them, you send the kids back where they came from. You get all the evil 
out of the land. And one by one, they call their names. Names are listed in the book of Ezra. They call their names. So-and-so, you intermarried. So-and-so, you intermarried. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. And the book closes with families parting, weeping, crying, Dads hugging their kids for the last time, hugging their wife for the last time. Wives hugging their kids and hugging their husbands for the last time. They're sending them back because they got serious with God. And the book ends with weeping. It began with weeping in Babylon. And it ends with weeping here because they did something radical enough. Because God was worth. Ezra ends. So my question to you is this. What is there in your life that's going to require a radical change for you to finally get serious with that book? What is it? Let's pray together, every head bowed and every eye closed. Folks, books like this are hard. Because what we see in it is radical change that's needed in order to make God your first priority. And I know I'm speaking today, and probably those online as well, I know some of you, God is your first priority and you've received Jesus and you're walking with him, but I, I know there are others here. There's going to require a radical change from you. And either God's worth it or he's not. And so I wonder what it is. And I wonder if in the quietness of just this moment, if you would be willing to voice that same recommitment that they voiced in the rain that day and say God I finally need to get serious with you and here's what I'm willing to do Lord, in the quietness of this moment, I pray that you will hear our prayers. I pray that, that what they, they prayed in the heavy rainstorm that day, we would pray in our hearts here today. That God, we're willing to do whatever it takes to walk with you. For some, that, that means receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord and, and a new lifestyle. God, may... May they have the courage today to, to do that. For others, dear God, it may be changing jobs or changing friends or whatever it means. Father, I pray today that you would help us to do whatever we need to do to make sure that you are truly Lord of all. So God, hear these prayers. And bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.